This episode is sponsored by Celestron, manufacturer of high-quality telescopes and an industry leader in developing exciting optical products with revolutionary technologies. I'm Kelly Beattie of Sky and Telescope magazine, and tonight we're going on a tour of the stars and planets that you'll see overhead during May. This month, we'll look for tiny bits of Halley's Comet, watch the moon cover up Jupiter, track down a couple of evening planets, and take stock of bright stars in the late spring sky. So grab your curiosity and come along with me on this month's Sky Tour. Most of us know about Halley's Comet, but this famous object hasn't been anywhere near us since the mid-1980s. In fact, right now it's out well beyond Neptune and still moving away from us. The turnaround back toward the Sun won't occur until late 2023. But each year about this time, planet Earth glides across Halley's orbit, and when that happens, we run into rocky grit shed by the comet centuries ago. The bits that slam into our atmosphere are tiny, most no more than one thousandth of a gram. But they arrive at 66 kilometers per second, 148,000 miles per hour. That's a lot of kinetic energy, and it gets dissipated high in the atmosphere as brief shooting stars. Astronomers call this annual cosmic light show the Eta Aquariid meteor shower because these crumbs from Halley's Comet appear to be plowing into us from the direction of the constellation Aquarius, and specifically near its star Eta. Now, since Aquarius isn't in the evening sky right now, to enjoy this shower you'll need to get up really early on May 6th, say 3 a.m., a couple of hours before dawn. And Aquarius is relatively low down in the sky, which reduces the resulting meteor rates. And to add to your challenge, this year's show will be spoiled by the distracting light from a nearly full moon. As May opens, there's a fat gibbous moon in the evening sky, and it becomes full on the 5th. Native American tribes knew this as the full flower moon, and for obvious reasons. This deep into northern spring, flowers are abundant everywhere. But it was also known as the full corn planting moon, or the milk moon. And interestingly, on the night of May 5th, the moon barely skirts through Earth's shadow, creating what's called a penumbral lunar eclipse. But it won't be seen from the United States, and frankly, even places where you can see it, Australia for example, you'll need to watch very carefully to realize that it's happening at all. On evenings after that, the moon rises about an hour later each night. So, by May 12th, when the moon is at last quarter, it doesn't rise until well after midnight. New moon follows on May 19th, and a few days later you'll find a thin crescent hanging over the western horizon as darkness falls. First quarter follows on the 27th, and by month's end, the moon is once again nearly full. It's always a special treat to watch the moon cover a planet, and one of these occultations, as they're called, happens this month. On Wednesday, May 17th, a very thin crescent moon will occult Jupiter in the morning sky for observers across much of the U.S., Canada, and Central America. For those of you in western North America, this cover-up takes place low in the east during morning twilight, and it'll look great through binoculars. Farther east, the occultation happens after sunrise. From there, the key will be finding the moon's very thin crescent 
just two days before new, in full daylight. If you wake up to a very clear blue sky that day, you can just use your eyes along with a stargazing app to guide you to the moon's position relative to the eastern horizon. Once you have it in view, Jupiter will be faintly visible as a small disk immediately east of the lunar crescent, to its left or lower left. So if you manage to spot this somewhat rare celestial event, give yourself a pat on the back. Not an early riser? Well, there's still lots to see after sunset. In particular, two of the five bright planets are in the evening sky right now. Most obvious is Venus, which first comes into view in early twilight, roughly a third of the way from the horizon to overhead. If you could see Venus through a telescope, you'd see that it's got the shape of a first quarter moon. More than four centuries ago, Galileo used telescopes he'd made himself to determine that Venus, like the moon, shows us a complete cycle of phases, from new to full and back to new. He realized that this could only be possible if Venus orbited the Sun, not Earth, as had been believed and never questioned for many centuries. The other planet in view is Mars, which you can spot pretty easily. First, find Venus in the evening sky, and as twilight darkens, look to its upper left by about twice the width of your clenched fist held at arm's length. Mars has now been in view each evening for many months. Thanks to its orbital motion around the Sun, the red planet moves steadily eastward, roughly a half degree per day, so Mars manages to keep a healthy distance between itself and the glow of evening twilight. On May 15th, this planet's travels bring it in line with Castor and Pollux, the twin head stars in Gemini, with all three spanning the width of your clenched fist. Mars, which is on the left end, isn't as bright as Pollux in the middle, but it does outshine Castor somewhat. At nightfall in early May, the western half of the sky is littered with bright stars. For example, look for a bright beacon just peeking over the southwestern horizon as darkness falls. This is Sirius, the brightest star in the nighttime sky. Slide your gaze toward the right and you'll come to Betelgeuse. Both of these stars will disappear from view before month's end. Higher up, above Sirius, is Procyon, and about five fists to its right, past Venus, is the bright star Capella. Together with Castor and Pollux, these stars are the last vestiges of wintertime constellations that are well past their expiration dates and sinking into the western twilight. Much higher above all of these, about two-thirds of the way to overhead, is Regulus, the alpha star in the constellation Leo the Lion. Regulus sits at the bottom of a star pattern called the sickle, because it looks like the hand tool with a curved blade used for harvesting crops. It's about the size of your clenched fist, and Regulus is at the bottom of the handle. Or maybe you'll see it more easily if you look for a question mark facing the wrong way. In any case, the stars of the sickle trace out the head of Leo, Regulus marks the lion's heart, and its body extends off to the left. Now look to the lower right of Regulus, back to Procyon, and then look to its upper right to spot Castor and Pollux. These stars enclose a big triangle of sky that appears fairly empty, but really it's not. The triangle's center marks the location of Cancer, the crab. This constellation isn't very big, and it doesn't have any bright stars. But here's where you'll find a star cluster called the Beehive. In a dark sky that's free of light pollution or strong moonlight, the cluster looks like a soft glow. 
binoculars will reveal dozens of individual stars. There's one obvious star pattern that just about everyone knows, the Big Dipper. To find it, all you have to do is turn toward north and look up, way up. You'll see the Big Dipper looming over you, with its curved handle bent upward and its four-sided bowl apparently overturned, as if dumping soup into some imaginary pot. Even though it's so well known, the Big Dipper isn't truly a constellation. It's what astronomers call an asterism, which is simply any group of stars that make a pattern. The Dipper is part of a larger constellation called Ursa Major, the Big Bear. Right now, this woolly beast is on its back, with the stars of the Dipper's handle serving as the bear's tail, the bowl marking its back, and its head off to the left. Many of our constellations and asterisms are chance alignments of stars that lie at different distances from Earth, but the Big Dipper breaks that rule. Five of its seven stars are equally far away, about 80 light-years from Earth. The two exceptions are at the end of the handle and on the lip of the bowl. What's more, these five stars are racing in formation across the sky at roughly 28,000 miles per hour. As a result, the Big Dipper shape is very gradually changing. In 100,000 years or so, its bowl will flatten out and its handle will bend sharply. I think of the Big Dipper as the Swiss Army knife of the sky because it helps me find so many other key springtime stars. For starters, find the two stars at the left end, forming one side of the bowl. Sky watchers call these the pointer stars and here's why. Draw an imaginary line down through the pointers and follow that line downward by three fists. You'll come to a moderately bright star. That's Polaris, the North Star. And you can use this trick any time you want. Just remember that those two stars point to Polaris. Now that you've found it, are you surprised that the North Star is not the brightest star in the sky? In fact, 45 other stars outshine it. But brightness isn't the North Star's claim to fame. Instead, it lies very nearly at the point where a line extended out into space from Earth's North Pole would go. So, as Earth spins throughout the night, Polaris hardly moves. Now, go back to the pointers in the Big Dipper. Follow that line through them in the opposite direction, up through overhead, and four or five fifths away you'll reach Regulus. So now you can point to Polaris and leap to Leo. But wait, there's a little more here. Follow the curve formed by the dipper's handle until, about three-fifths away, you reach a very bright star called Arcturus in the east. Arcturus is an ancient Greek star name that means watcher or guardian of the bear. So, congratulations, you now know how to arc to Arcturus. And did you know that you can even use the Big Dipper to tell time? It's really easy, actually. To find out how, go to skyandtelescope.org and type star clock in the search box. That do-it-yourself star clock is just one of many features for beginning stargazers that you'll find at S&T's website. That's about it for this month. If you want more tips for viewing the night sky, check out Sky at a Glance at skyandtelescope.org. That offers great star and planet gazing activities on a day-by-day -day basis. If you haven't already subscribed, you can find this Sky Tour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And please leave me a rating or a review. It'll help others find the show. And if you want to explore the solar system and universe more deeply, 
check out the full line of binoculars and telescopes available at Celestron.com. Sky Tour is a production of Sky and Telescope, a division of the American Astronomical Society, and it's produced by me, Kelly Beatty. Join me next month when we'll explore the stars found in and near the celestial scorpion. Until then, I wish you clear skies. <laughs>